0: Welcome back to Crime Capsule. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. This week, we're continuing our conversation with Jane Bardall, author of Colorado's Mrs. Captain Ellen Jack, Mining Queen of the Rockies. If you missed last week's episode, make sure to check it out and get caught up. And if you have a moment, be sure to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. It helps other listeners and history buffs find the show, and we sure are grateful. So thanks. Jane, welcome back to Crime Capsule.
1: Thank you. Nice to be back.
0: So where we left off last week, uh, we were talking about her riches that were coming out of the Black Queen mine. But of course, all good things must come to an end. And there is a point at which uh, her legal entanglements begin to be burdensome on her. The mine doesn't produce quite as much. And she decides to pick up sticks, right? She decides to get out of Colorado for a little bit and go down south to Arizona. Now, I'm going to leave some of that discussion for our listeners to uh, enjoy in the book itself, because there are some fun stories of what happened down in Arizona. I only want to ask you about one of them. And in particular, I want to ask you about some of the colorful characters (laughs) that she meets down there. And in particular, I want to ask you about none other than Cochitopa Shorty, who I think has to be my absolute favorite person in this book after Captain Jack herself for the one reason... (laughs) It's it's a it's a brief moment, but I, I could not resist asking you. For the one reason that Cochitopa Shorty made the news in Arizona for the one time that he came into town sober. <laughs> <laughs> Who is this guy and how did she encounter him? And was he really that much of a drunk?
1: Yeah. Well, um, she did go to Arizona for a while. Uh, that was a very short-lived affair. But um, she also prospected in the Gunnison Gold Belt, which was just to the south of Gunnison, and uh, that's where she encountered Cochitopa Shorty. So she had staked a claim with some mining partners, and he didn't like it that they were in his area where he was, uh, I think he had some goats or something, and he had accused them of tearing apart his fences and um, so that's how she encountered him, but one of her mining partners actually brought a case against Coach Shorty because he threatened to kill them, and so they brought him to court for that, and, uh, they accused him of being insane. Um, uh, so I thought that was kind of interesting, and they didn't win on that basis, but, uh, yeah, Coach Atopo Shorty was, was quite a character and met an unfortunate end himself, but, um, I thought it was interesting that an eccentric character like Captain Jack would be accusing someone else of insanity. So uh, I <laughs> Takes wish one I could. To know one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, other people have written a little bit about him in the history of Gennison. And I, I think that, you know, excessive drinking was really quite common. That's what she accused her husband of, Redmond Malt, of being habitually drunk. And the judge in the case actually defined habitual drunkenness as being, you know, incapacitated for a good portion of the time. <laughs> and so uh, I, I think it was fairly common for people to to be that way. And that was part of the movement towards prohibition and uh, where she got into some trouble later near Colorado Springs for operating essentially a saloon there as well.
0: Sure. And, you know, medical science of the day, I'm sure, had very little understanding compared to today of chemical addiction and, you know, uh, neurological triggers and that sort of thing. I mean, we're not going to hold them to today's standards as far as understanding the local town drunk. I just think it's kind of amazing that you get a newspaper article written about you for the one time that you actually do walk into town sober Uh, That's pretty special. Did you ever see that article? Did you actually get to lay hands on that particular copy of the newspaper?
1: Uh, Yeah, well, the Colorado Historic Newspapers are online. And so um, that's where I got a lot of the newspaper accounts. And so that's really a great resource for looking up uh, information from the day.
0: Well, I know what I am going to go and search for as soon as this inter- interview is over. We're gonna go find Coach Topa Shorty in the archives and um, give him a wave. So no matter where Ellen goes, though, Captain Jack, no matter where she goes, you write that her her legal troubles do follow her. I mean, unfortunately, this is something that she has to contend with the whole of her life and. I was just I wanted to ask you picking up on a on a, a small thread from last week. Do you think that she knew when she moved to that area and began prospecting? Do you think she knew she was signing up for this kind of conflict that that you know her life would not be as simple as being out on the trail? pick and shovel in hand, you know, hauling down ore from the in the mountainside. I mean, do you think she had an awareness of what, what kind of broader arena she was entering into? Because uh, it lasted for decades. I mean, even in the, you know, the early 1900s, she's still fighting these court cases.
1: Well, she was a fairly contentious person herself. And, you know, when she ran her place on Coney Island, uh, she was involved in some controversy there. And she was accused of arson and fraud. Uh, And so I, I, you know, she eventually won a settlement with the insurance company. Uh, And so she had a bit of that back East. And I think she did feel very vulnerable as a single woman. She at least mentions that as her reason for getting married to Walsh. And so then I, I think that it might, it might I mean it's hard to really know what she was thinking about such things beyond what she says in her autobiography but you know given the restrictions on women of the day I think women had to tread very carefully to try to stay in the proper lanes without facing additional troubles and so a lot of women were boarding house owners in the west it was one of the main things that women did is to run a boarding house running a saloon maybe a little less common certainly we know about madams from the west so um, I think that looking at that pathway, it's perhaps not a surprise that she faced some contention. There were some other women mine owners, but not very many. And so uh, that was kind of a a path that she forged. Uh, there were a lot of women prospectors. And so a lot of small time operations that women did. And you can find a lot of those stories really throughout many states about women prospectors. And, you know, Sally Zanjani was one of the people who wrote about many women in Nevada. Uh, and so you could find that, but then, you know, once someone found something of value, that's when all the fighting started.
0: Well, we do need to dig into that a little bit because one of the things that you do write about in this era is the unhappy presence of uh, actual violence out on the trail and that it was a reality and that there was a, uh, any there were any number of individuals, you know, with malice in their hearts or greed, of course, being the driving driving force there, who would just as soon as turn on their co prospectors, turn on their co owners, and try to solve the problem the old fashioned way. Now, uh, it sounds like she was occasionally threatened, but that she maybe escaped the very worst of the kind of violence that was out on the trail. Um, More interesting, perhaps Jane is later in life, she actually got involved in investigating a a couple of murders out on the trail in Colorado. And she, she was not involved in the actual crimes. She kind of came to them afterwards through different means but I wanted to ask you about this because this was something that of course she would have been aware of was happening all throughout her prospecting years and then it finally kind of comes home to roost when these bodies are discovered not far from her campsites so can you just take us to that moment because it I think it is illuminating of, of the actual dangers out on the trail.
1: Well, when she was running her roadhouse up on the high drive, which is right outside of Colorado Springs, uh, there were a couple of murders who took place uh, nearby. And so one of those was Bessie Bouton, and she was murdered fairly close by, and her body was found. And Captain Jack kind of inserted herself into that story because uh, she had found a pile of burned clothes near her place as she was traveling into Colorado Springs. So she would have had to walk maybe two, three miles to get into Colorado Springs. And so she went to the sheriff and told her, told him about what she found. And, um, you know, I think that case kind of illustrates the dangers of a woman who takes up with a rather unscrupulous man, which actually is what captain Jack did on several occasions. (laughs) You know, she got involved with uh, some questionable men, uh, and, that woman, Bessie Bouton, uh, ended up getting killed. And so uh, that was a pretty long case that I followed out. I just put a short bit of that in the book. But the murderer was eventually uh, found and uh, ended up killing himself. So anyways, uh, she was involved in that case. And that kind of put her in the newspaper, and she got her story out there, Um, her story, her version of what she had scene and kind of what she had imagined and what she had dreamed. Some of her information really wasn't all that relevant to the case, but it was her chance to be described as a medium and a spiritualist in newspapers around the country. Cause that was actually a nationwide story that many papers uh, picked up on. And then the other story about uh, Laura Matthews, you know, that had more to do with her directly uh, because they were, uh, her and her lover were holding trysts at her place on the high drive. And that's where uh, she was serving chicken dinners to the tourists by day, but then was uh, serving beer, serving liquor without a license. Serving something else at at night. (laughs) Yes, by night. Uh And so uh, those two people uh, were some of the partiers, and then uh, the woman uh, ends up dead. Uh, and so that's where Cap- Captain Jack was interviewed, and uh, that's where she tells the story about being the widow of Charles Jack and gets her name out there in the papers again. So I think that was probably also the reason why she was then brought up on charges of selling liquor without a license. Uh, she was on the outskirts of Colorado Springs, and at that time we saw a real change in Prohibition gaining steam. That was uh, around you know 1909-ish. And so we see many people uh, gaining some traction in terms of moving towards prohibition and places like hers and the rowdy behavior coming under uh, law enforcement uh, efforts to curtail such activity. So I think that played a role in those cases, which she was able to successfully evade. Uh, And also part of Colorado Springs was founded by General William Palmer, And he really wanted to curtail such rowdy behavior as well. So he banned the sale of liquor properties in Colorado Springs because, you know, he only wanted to attract a certain crowd of uh, people who weren't going to be involved in those things. So once again, she was on the margins of any kind of respectable society.
0: This is a completely ridiculous question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. How effective was this local ban on on liquor? I mean, in, uh, out in the West. I mean, come on,
1: right? <laughs> right. Well, the saloons and brothels set up in Colorado City, which was about two miles to the west of where the bulk of you know downtown Colorado Springs. And uh, the stipulation in Colorado Springs itself was that liquor could be sold at drugstores for quote medicinal purposes. So. Um, I guess anybody who was of the right social class could get their hands on alcohol, should they choose to do so.
0: Let me ask you some questions about Captain Jack's legacy one of the reasons that we are even able to have this conversation goes back in in a weird way you know to those postcards that you talked about last week she was so skilled at creating an image of herself and furthering that image you know as you say with respect to these particular murders out on the trail i mean every everywhere she went she she was just Opportunist is the wrong word, I think, here. She's just very shrewd. And she knew that she wanted to create a kind of a mythos, as you as you say in the book. And it actually comes to the point where she pivots not just to prospecting, not just to running these businesses, but in fact to selling her own image of doing all these kinds of things. So help us to see that pivot where... She has created a reputation and now begins to profit off of the reputation.
1: Well, when she moved to Colorado Springs, you know, she set up this place on the high drive and she did file mining claims there. And the problem with that is that very little ore was actually shipped. So uh, she kept claiming that she had some great mines that were going to produce something of value, but they never really did. And Colorado Springs had really been a center for tourist activity for quite some time. So, you know, if you go back to the 1890s, there were a lot of people traveling there by train from the East Coast, and so she really started to tap into that market. So uh, there were uh, carriage drives that would go up and over the High Drive, out from Colorado Springs, um, past the Broadmoor Hotel, uh, Helen Hunt's, uh, falls, uh, other places along the High Drive, and then back through Colorado City and back to Colorado Springs. So it was a loop that people could make. And so there are quite a few uh, carriage rides. People would take borough rides and they'd go up to Pikes Peak or you know some of the surrounding areas, the Seven Falls area. So there was really a lot of tourist activity that she could really tap into. And so you know she would start... Uh, selling the chicken dinners and running her curio shop. She wrote her autobiography and had that published in 1910. And so she sold copies of that. And some of the postcards I have that tourists wrote on, you know, would comment on her and uh, tell a little something about her. And so many of those postcards have been saved by postcard collectors over the years Uh, Those are also unique postcards, they're real photo postcards, so she did make some multiple copies of some of them, but uh, there was a little camera that people would have that would actually create the postcard itself. And so that's one reason why they're still highly valued by collectors.
0: The same... Grain of salt that applies to reading her biography does, of course, apply to looking at some of the images that she made of herself. And I think one of my absolute favorites in your book was the photograph of her carrying, allegedly carrying, uh, you know, sort of like a, a burrow sack full of tungsten. Ore, right. And it's sort of the label on the postcard says, you know, Captain Jack burying a load of tungsten ore. And then your, your um, uh, caption to that particular, your caption, I should say, not her caption to the photograph, but your <laughs> caption to the photograph is, there are no known deposits of tungsten in this area. Right. <laughs> I really appreciated right. that. Thank you for that. And I, I
1: really looked, too, because at first I didn't really know, and I just kept looking. It's like, no, not, not there. But, you know, she might have called whatever mineralized rock was coming out of the ground as tungsten and, uh, you know, selling that image to the tourists. And the other image she has, which is of her, you know, mining gold ore, uh, I, I think that one's really funny because she's in this cloud of smoke and... um there was one assay report that had just really a tiny amount of gold on the assay report and who knows how that accurate that was, but that was her claim. And then the tourists would get out of their carriages or off their burrows and they would go look at her mine tunnel and, you know, she would tell them these stories and entertain them. And so, you know, that's how she made some money selling these things and eking out a living, uh, she believed that she was going to turn her place into one of the great resorts that surrounded Colorado Springs, but of course, she never had the means to do anything like that.
0: Well, you know, we can't blame her for having those those big dreams. And, you know, I raise my glass to her for having that kind of, of vision. I mean, you write in the book that there are kind of competing assessments of her personality or her Uh, her character depending on who's looking at her and depending on the lens that they're looking at her from. And what I mean by that is you say there's a strain of thought out there that wants to call Captain Jack an eccentric and that that's a fairly specific term in psychological circles um, that it means a little bit more when it comes from a a technical um, background than it does from just kind of everyday parlance. And I was wondering what What do you mean by that? And do you think that assessments of her as an eccentric are in any way warranted?
1: There was Western Reflections publishing, uh, republished her autobiography uh, recently, and the title is uh, Colorado's Eccentric Captain Jack. And I think that's an accurate title. Um, One of the ways, one of the aspects of her personality that comes out as being eccentric is the word peculiar as well. So after she passed away, her daughter came out west, because apparently her daughter probably thought she had some great fortune, which turned out to not be true. And Captain Jack had left her meager possessions to a couple of her friends, and her daughter contested the will. And so in the court testimony, one of the people who knew Captain Jack in Colorado Springs was asked about her mental uh mental health i guess you'd say and he said well i don't know anything about that i'm not qualified to assess that you know sure she had this kind of talk about planets and the stars that affect our actions but you know i just didn't pay any attention to it and the lawyer asked well is there anything that was peculiar about her and the person said well i always knew that she was peculiar and (laughs) so i think that best describes how she was you know He mentions that she typically calls people by their last names. In her autobiography, she calls her husband uh, Walsh. She doesn't use his first name ever. And so this person said, well, she always called people by their last names, not their first name. Now, that's just a bit of an eccentric part of a person's character. Um, But I think that overall, she was, for the most part, able to managed her own affairs well enough to live up on the side of the mountain for, you know, a good portion of the year. Uh, she probably came down into town in the wintertime. But, um, you know, I, I I think that she probably wasn't real good at managing money. Uh, she did make a great deal of money from the Black Queen. And then the only comment on that comes from a newspaper reporter in Yure, Colorado, who said, you know, she makes and spends money freely like all miners do. Uh, and so that's perhaps an aspect of her character that relates to, you know, she wasn't really very financially well off and maybe had some trouble as, as far as managing money. And certainly all the lawsuits against her for not paying her bills might attest to that. Um, but I, I think eccentric is a good way of looking at it. Um, as a psychologist, I'm trained to do research, and I'm not a clinical psychologist, so I do not want to put any kind of mental health labels on her. I don't agree with doing that, certainly not for a historical character. Um, so I, I think just describing her as eccentric, I think, is a, a, a good way of describing her habits. And, uh, you know, I think she's an interesting character. And she also had some different kind of belief systems, such as the belief in spiritualism, that was fairly common at the time, which actually some people took as a sign of mental illness. And so, um, but, you know, a lot of people believe that. And, you know, spiritualism actually created an atmosphere where women could go out and speak in public and was one of the influences on the women's rights movement and suffra- suffrage movement and the latter latter ni- 1800s, and then of course suffrage in the early 1900s. So some of that actually created an atmosphere where someone like Captain Jack could go out and do what she did and uh, have greater independence, not total independence, but greater independence and freedom to live her life uh, as she pleased. So uh, I view that overall as a, as a positive part of her character. And to do the things she did, she had to be able or willing to go against social norms. So someone who is more conventional simply would not have done what she did.
0: You know, when I look back over your portrayal of her, I see somebody who is independent, who is feisty, who is combative, but only when she needs to be combative. She's not going out picking fights. She's just defending herself. She is assertive. Uh, She is driven. She is in some ways... A visionary. She sees things that are not yet there and then tries to go and create them. I mean, these are all tremendously admirable qualities, I think, in, in the main. And, you know, we can't exactly call her harmless because she did know how to fire a pistol and she could fire it very, very well. <laughs> but, you know, she's not going out there shooting willy-nilly. She is acting in self-defense, you know, in those instances where we see her. So, you know, really, really interesting, complex uh, figure here. And I guess maybe the last question I have for you is a question of, it's a coin with two sides. And the first side of the coin is, um, what was her legacy as this independent, you know, very strong woman? What was her legacy for women in her day, okay, and her contemporaries as a pioneer, a trailblazer, that sort of thing. And then the flip side of the coin is, what do you think is her legacy for women today, in our day? How should we view her, and what, has she, what her, were her contributions for women today?
1: Well, I think she just expanded the boundaries. You know, she was one of many uh, women who did that, and I think if you look at maybe the long legacy of American history, one theme has been, continually expanding opportunities and freedoms for a wider and wider group of people. And she was part of that, you know. Um, She perhaps didn't contribute nearly as much as maybe some of the leaders that we look at in history today, but she had her own small part to play in terms of just going out on her own, uh, being a businesswoman, being a prospector, a mine owner, uh, and doing all these activities, you know, even running a boarding house, and then her uh, roadhouse up on Colorado Springs, selling her story uh, as a prospector and miner, I think are all really unique uh, contributions and was part of larger movements of women uh, doing this. And I think even today, you know, I think that there's continued interest in the history of the West, uh, continued interest in the stories of women who did these kind of things, uh, because people want to know about what happened. And, how people, you know, fought these battles and how they tried their best to find their fortune and maybe had some wins and maybe some losses. And so I think in that sense, that was what was appealing to me about her story was just that she was involved in doing so many things and really left quite a record to find. And there were some surprises that I found in my research. I mean, even just looking at how someone went about a divorce, um, you know, for example, I had always thought that uh, women or that men could, you know, husbands could freely beat their wives during that era. And that was certainly not true at all. And, um, you know, a friend of mine said, well, I thought it was always the rule of thumb. A husband could beat his wife with something no bigger than the thumb. But uh, actually, in the court case, the judge defined extreme cruelty very specifically, that it was not okay for a husband to do that. And so that was kind of a surprise to me, just finding out about uh, some of those things during uh, that era and things that she did and uh, things that happened to her. So I think that's kind of the continuing legacy is just, you know, to serve as an inspiration for people to look at how someone goes about trying to uh, expand those opportunities for themselves.
0: Well, and speaking of kind of persistence and her... Um, sense of her own personal integrity that she was always fighting for. Can I tell you how satisfying it was late in your book when she finally does win the court case against her own lawyer who had you know stabbed her in the back when she finally wins against John Kincaid. You know, and it's just like it's the, it's been running for for year after year after year after year, and and she nails his butt to the wall you know i mean and it's like the money at that point doesn't matter because he's not you know it's just it's all gonna get kind of frittered away or eaten up in fees anyway but she won you know and i just i, I stood up from the couch as i was reading and pumped my fist in the air it's <laughs> like yes you got him you got him you know it's great great moment let me ask you this this has been such a pleasure um traveling out under the starry sky, you know, uh, the wide open Colorado sky with her and, um, just can't thank you enough for taking us on that, that adventure. I mean, she really is a fascinating figure in American history. Um, what is next for you? I mean, do you have any other book projects on the table right now, or are you just kind of taking a break while this one is, is making its rounds? Uh, what, what do you have going on?
1: Well, right now, I'm just uh, trying to go out and do some talks. Um, And so I've done a couple recent talks at psychology conference and mining history conference. And so just different organizations trying to you have to schedule those pretty far in advance in many cases. So I'm just trying to line up more talks to go out and and do those. And a couple kind of shorter projects, you know, some of the stuff that I cut cut out of my book, uh, some of those could be uh, made into either short presentations or maybe a article or something like that, and then uh, I still have an interest in mining history, so some aspects of mining history in New Mexico. Um, so I have a, I kind of have a lot of my plate to do. So, uh, so that's that's what I have uh, moving forward. So,
0: well, I think Captain Jack would have approved. Um, if uh, folks want to look you up and find your books, uh, what's the best way for them to do so? Do you have a website? What What do you have?
1: Well, the book's available on Amazon, of course, and then Arcadia History Press website. I think they can order it from there uh, as well. I have a YouTube channel, which I kind of got into doing hiking videos. So I do have some plans in the future for going to some of these locations. Again, I did travel to some locations, but now that I'm doing video, just making some videos of where she was. Uh, so I, that, that's kind of upcoming maybe in the next year or two to do that and put that out.
0: That is so exciting. You know, one of the last things you write about in your book is the rock that she used to take photos in front of near her old campstead. And I, I presume you're going to have to go and sort of get a video in front of this <laughs> enormous rock. Yes. 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 <sighs>
1: Yeah, I did hike up there. Uh, It's a pretty short hike and going on Captain Jack's trail because that's still there. So all the buildings are gone uh, because they were falling apart. And so they were taken out of there. But you can still see the location of where she had her uh, roadhouse and the rock is still there. course a lot of the trees have grown up in the meantime
0: well what a joy to get to go and walk in her footsteps so jane thank you so much for joining us these last few weeks this has been a total pleasure really appreciate it
1: well thank you very much for having me
0: thanks for listening our guest has been jane bardall author of colorado's mrs captain ellen jack mining queen of the rockies a brand new title just published by the history press to order a copy visit arcadiapublishing.com or your local independent bookstore. Join us next week as we travel to Chicago with author Harrison Fillmore in pursuit of organized crime, but not quite the outfit you might think. See you then. Thanks as always to our producer, Bill Huffman, our production director, Richard Coyne, audio engineer, Ian Douglas, and our executive producers, Michael DeLoya and Gerardo Orlando. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Crime Capsule is a production of Evergreen Podcasts and a signature title of the Killer Podcasts Network. You can find Crime Capsule wherever you listen to podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at killerpodcasts.com.
1: One of Scotland's most
0: notorious unsolved murders. To think that someone could turn a cheese wire into a grot and take someone's life. The level of violence, the uncertainty and the randomness frightened people. She always thought the killer was going to come back after her. Society needs to find that killer. Who is
1: the cheese wire killer? Listen to the Fool series now, wherever you get your podcasts.